Good morning and welcome to the Elevated Life Podcast, episode 25. I'm here with Terry Tillert, PhD, once again, my co-host for today. He is such an expert on so many different topics, and I'm just really looking forward to having an opportunity to discuss the topic today, which is pain one of my favorite topics to discuss because of the many misconceptions around it. Welcome, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, thank you so much for having me once again. Uh, looking forward to another fun episode. We've been having a lot of fun with these and uh, yeah, happy to talk about pain. I, you know, I was looking up the statistics the other day and I heard that a hundred million Americans, that's just one country, of course, are on some form of pain medication. These, these extremely toxic, dangerous drugs that are completely unnecessary, and 100 million people are on them. Like, to me, that, like, that's mind-boggling because you know, it's like, that's like almost a third of the country. And you figure, you know, three people in a household, that means they're in basically every single household. And then if you start factoring in all the different demographics, you know, like remove all the kids from the equation, remove everyone under 20 from the equation, and you realize, oh my God, these we're talking about like almost everybody. Because people under 20 really shouldn't have any need for these things. I'm sure many of them are using them, but uh, you start to realize that we're, you know, just about one in two adults are on some form of this toxic, completely unnecessary drugging of some kind that tend to be very addictive, destroying of the liver, destroying you know, many other organs. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy to me. So I think uh, it'd be good for us to at least bring a little more awareness to the subject. Yeah, well, that was a fantastic, I mean, wow. I, I couldn't agree more with you on this topic. Uh, I mean, on everything you just said. As far as pain relievers, is it really one in two um, households? I mean, I'm not surprised. I would think it would be like 90% actually. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, th I think it's like, I think the demographics of the country are somewhere roughly in the 360 million people. So if 100 million people are using them and, you know, the average number of people living per household is probably somewhere around three. And then you, fa and then you eliminate all of the, the youth, you know, which really shouldn't be on those drugs. So if you, we just look at the adult population, we're getting really, really high uh, percentages of people on these things. And you know, it's interesting because <clears throat> I, I'm guilty of this. You know, when I was young, playing hockey and stuff when I was a teenager, uh, hockey was very serious to me. I was playing very high level competitive hockey. And uh, you know, I, you know, so many things we didn't understand, like our house didn't use a lot of drugs, but somehow in, in when it comes to over the counter medicines, you know, those are perfectly safe. You know, those were like free will candy if you wanted them or needed them. You know, there was always some of that stuff in the house. And while we didn't use it regularly, if there was a need, I mean, by all means, you know, go grab it. And at the time I used to have this like ridiculous, I mean, insane amounts of inflammation in my elbows. Like it got to the point, like I, I would, I was taking like eight before eight ibuprofens, like for a game. Like I would take them, while I was getting wow. ready to take them again before the game starts. I could barely, I could barely bend my elbows. Like uh, wow. I was like, yeah, one of the leading scorers. So they would like, give me the, give me the puck. And they would always yell me, why don't you shoot more often? I said, I'm only shooting when I think I'm scoring because it hurts like hell. <laughs> it's amazing yeah. how many people, uh, do you, you know, think about it, the amount of people in, um, major sports that just like what you're saying, it's like, just to be able to play, they're on so many pain medications. And I mean, that's just, that's probably just so prevalent. Um, in, in, in all sports, I would imagine just to make it through the game. 
I mean, that was literally me and that was high school. Like I was young <laughs> and you know, my parents, it's no, they just didn't know at the time. Now they would never do the same things. You know, they're much more aware. Uh, I've been able to, you know, open their eyes to a lot of things over the years and open my own eyes, of course. But you know, the next thing you know, by 19, I'm having some of these liver problems because I'm taking these stupid, you know, over the counter. If it's over the counter, our public, you know, the public, general public believes, well, that's safe and that's good for you and it's perfectly fine, which nothing could be further from the truth. Wow, um, that's so fascinating. So what do you mean? So this is really good um, to get into just a little bit. What do you mean you were already having liver problems? Like, how were they manifesting for you at such a young age? Well, I don't tell this story often, but you know, I, I don't think about it often. But now that we're talking about it, it jogged my memory. And uh, you know, like I was the I was the typical college student, you know, drinking heavily and all that stuff. And I was passed on this mythology when I was, you know, you know, in Canada, people drink in high school. You know, drink in high school. It's not like yeah. a, this twenty one yeah. nonsense in the U.S. But you know, it's common. You know, for people to have a few sociable drinks with their families, that's not unheard of. It's, you know, it wasn't about abuse. Um, but I was told, I remember when I was a teenager, that, hey, if you took some Tylenol or something like that, you know, like let's say before you went to bed, that would help you avert a hangover in the morning. And so, you know, the, the, a lot of these myths that get passed down. So next thing you know, not only was I using a lot of it for sports, but if I was going out for a few drinks, guess what I was capping the night off with? You yeah, know, I would, I would, yeah, I would take some Tylenol or some ibuprofen of some and kind, and I always woke up feeling fine, so I thought maybe there's something to this. <laughs> yeah, and think about how many people do that now every day. I mean, that's just, that's standard protocol for people who go out and party on a regular basis. So anyway, go on. Well, you know, and then, and then one night I'm, I'm out with friends and I'm just about keeling over and, and I knew something was really wrong and it, it, you know, it scared me. So, I, you know, I went to the doctor and he's all like, I don't know, things aren't looking right. That doesn't make sense. I mean, you're young, you're, you know, I think I was like 19 at the time or something like that, maybe 20. And uh, next thing you know, we're running some tests and he's like, you know, I can't believe it, but at your age, you're having some liver problems. Like you need to just lay off of everything. What's going on? And, you wow. know, and wow. then he, he's the one who uh, finally, at least the doctor at that time had a little bit of insight, but he, he, he pointed out to me that, you know, you can't combine alcohol with, with a lot of these pharmaceuticals, which most of our general population still to this day have the idea, the concept has never dawned on them. I was, I was just recently on vacation with a bunch of family down in Mexico and somehow some offshoot of this came up, something about, uh, we were talking, oh, we were talking about senior citizens who, uh, who, you know, how they were all living in this, uh, sh like, shared housing uh, situation and how a lot of them, you know, do socials, play cards, have a few drinks and, you know, all this stuff. And I said, and we were talking about how some of them get very loopy. This is what, uh, you know, some friends of mine were sharing with me. And I said, well, no wonder. I mean, you can guarantee they're on all these pharmaceuticals and here they are drinking. I mean, now, I'm not opposed to them having a few drinks, but that mix and that combination, I'm sure no one's warning them about, and I'm sure it's, you know, really contributing. And they're like, God, no one's ever told us that. It never even dawned on me. And, and of, you know, the one person I was talking to said, you know, geez, I need to talk to my mother about this. Like, that, that you know, really, she shouldn't be combining the alcohol with all these uh, drugs. You know, again, our society thinks that if someone with a white coat told you it was good to go, and if it was over the counter, let me tell you, that's just, that's like candy. Um, that might as well be in the M&M section of the store. Uh, yeah. You know, it's a yeah. real problem. It is. So like when you said you were like killing over at that, in that circumstance that forced you to go to the doctor, were you in pain? Is that what you were saying? You were just like in yeah. pain? 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I was out with friends and I don't know. I was just like had this crazy, you know, stomach pain. And I was like, and I usually, you know, had a cast iron stomach. So I just, it, it was just so unusual for me. Yeah. And I just said like, something's not right. <laughs> like, and I started to pay attention. I was like, God, every time I have one more drink, it seems to be getting a little bit worse to the point where like, I just needed to stop. And then, well, you know, uh, and then when I went to go check, sure enough, that's what I learned, you know? So, um, you know, I know that's causing people way more problems than they think. And, and, you know, so many people in our society come up and they've got, you know, as you know, there's literally thousands of invented definitions of diseases now, and they have no idea where they came from. And this is most certainly at least one contributor, because we know for sure that these drugs destroy the liver, the heart, and the kidneys, the heart, on the stomach. I mean, how do people not think that this is correlated. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think it's really important for us to talk about, but not only that, the, the, the hundreds of disease labels just for pain alone that the yeah. doctors have, have yeah. themselves convinced and have the public convinced and their patients convinced that these are all separate and unique diseases. Somehow. Yes. And yes. everything's a quote unquote disease instead of the doctor accurately describing that every disease is nothing more than a label or a descriptor right. for a set of symptoms. It's not a disease. That's ridiculous. So let's talk about, that's a good segue into, let's talk about some of the hundreds of different, we'll give a few, labels that doctors give people for pain. And then I want to discuss what the pain relievers, even the, especially even the over-counter, over-the-counter pain relievers actually do to the body um, and how they actually prolong pain and contribute to the pain. So let's talk about some of the first, uh, some of the names doctors like to give different pain and they, they label them into conditions, chronic illnesses and diseases. What are some of the names? Well, I mean, we could talk all day about this, but to me, you know, you got fibromyalgia and then you've got, you know, muscular dystrophy and then you've got uh, arthritis. And then, then there's a special kind of arthritis. Maybe it's rheumatoid arthritis. Like I don't know where all of these fancy names and then it's migraines and it's headaches and then it's itis and then it's sciaticas and then it's lumbar pain and then it's I threw out is the new technical term like everyone's got a I yeah. threw out my knee I threw out my but what the fuck does that even mean I mean that's, that's not a medical term it's not a there's no such thing as a throughout I mean I don't know where that's become common vernacular in society completely accepted as like almost like a disease condition <laughs> or a herniated disc or you're sure I, I mean well it's it's, I have to have surgery because it's herniated or it's, you know, <laughs> there, it, it can't be, it can't repair on its own. It's, I need surgery. It's the only way that'll fix it. Or yeah. So the insanity of needing surgery drives me bonkers. Yeah. I mean, I always talk about it in the context of cancer, but when it comes to uh, surgeries and pain, I mean, the same, the, the same thing drives me crazy. I always ask people, can you improve your health? by getting stabbed and robbed at knife point at the ATM. And people say, well, no, that's absurd. You know, and I used to tell the story. Did you hear about the guy who was at the ATM that got robbed at knife point? Well, anyway, as he went to the hospital, th this guy already had cancer. And the next thing you know, the doctors couldn't believe it. After the stabbing and the robbing, this guy's in remission. Who caught the story? You know, and I'm always asking the audience, put up their hands. And I was, no, I didn't, I didn't catch that story. I'm like, me neither. <laughs> because the absurdity that you could go and get stabbed at the ATM and magically, uh, A, get rid of cancer, or B, improve your health in any way is insanity. Uh, but my question to people then is, what makes you believe that you can get stabbed in a special building and somehow walk out with improved health? 
not only stab, but first they drug you one thread from death and then stab you and sometimes remove organs that are necessary and pretend that they're optional and tell people that they're going to go home and have improved health. Well, yeah. How many people have you worked with, Terry? I know I've worked with probably hundreds of people who have had surgeries only to have more problems from the surgery after the fact and not even realizing that m most people I've encountered have had unnecessary surgeries because they didn't trust their body's innate ability to heal or even know that it was possible. So, well, and, and you know, and some studies have been done on, you know, let's say, uh, I remember we reading one years ago, I forget all the exact details, so don't quote me, but there was a study done on people who had this uh, knee surgery and versus people who, who were put under anesthetics, nothing was done and then told that they had the surgery, of course. And guess what? The, the success rate of the surgery was the same in those who got it versus those who didn't. So it was completely placebo. It's not like, it's not like you're going in and cutting people and making it better. And, yeah. then, and, and now we got people putting in steel rods in their spinal column. Like, fuck, people have gone mad. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know where, that, where the doctors thought that this was a good idea other than the fact that they're extremely well paid for surgeries. I mean... People say, oh, the surgeons are all miraculous people. You know, maybe on occasion. Okay, fine. We'll concede that on occasion. Sometimes they're probably doing some good stuff. However, the only business they're in is in the surgery business. If they're not using the scalpel, they're not getting paid. And I don't care if you live in, a, in Canada where, where, you know, people have the perception that healthcare is free. No, no, no. That's why they document and, and track your paperwork because then they just build a government. They're still, they're only paid when they use the scalpel. Like, so... Every pro, every, you know, all you have is a hammer. I, when all you have is a, you know, you know that saying, we all have is hammer. Every problem looks like a, oh my God, I can't even get that one out of my head, mouth today. But you know what I mean? So this, every problem looks like a surgical problem. Well, guess what? They're in the business of surgery. That's all they do. And it's the only way they get paid. It's the only solution they have. It's the only thing they're legally allowed to do. So yeah. guess what the solution's always going to be? doesn't make it right, sane, helpful, useful in any shape, way, or form. And if the placebo on that knee surgery was, you know, produce identical results, my question is, who's to say that that wouldn't be, if it were performed against all surgeries, that the exact same result wouldn't happen, that it wasn't well, all placebo? It's so, it's so true. Uh, you know, um, let's talk about before, you know, now we, you know, we went over some of the names for common pain. Many people are under the impression, uh, because of what they're told, if they're diagnosed with some sort of condition, and I put that in quotes, but once they're diagnosed with some sort of condition, people are pretty much convinced that their problem is permanent and that it will never go away and that the only answers are medications. Now, it's amazing. I, I think we should, it's amazing the powerful psychological hold that doctors have over their patients. In fact, I feel and I don't think this topic is talked about enough. I don't want to get sidetracked, but I feel like many doctors not only abuse their authority, but they're so toned that they're so immune to the power of their words, the psychological impact that their words have on their patients permanently moving forward in their lives. People very often never forget the words their doctor says. And especially when they're very ominous, and you know scary and you know dismal dismal and uh there 
it's it i feel like it sh it should be illegal for pe for doctors to be able to use half the language they use because it's so psychologically devastating on patients and what i mean is when a doctor says well no you're never going to be able to heal this it's you're going to have this for the rest of the your life and this is degenerative it will only get worse you know things like that or we, you only have so much time before it's it's going to kill you or you know you're just gonna end up in a wheelchair or that it, i mean thousands and thousands of things doctors say that are not only not true but they're they they're partially true based on what the doctor sees in their own practice because they don't they rarely see anyone actually get better because the people who choose to get better naturally usually don't go back so they don't see the people who get better they're not in that they're not surrounded by that population of people they they're they are correct when they say you'll never get better as far as the people they see because they'll, they'll never see those people. But, but anyway, um, the reason I'm, I'm saying this is because I feel like there's a responsibility doctors have when they diagnose people with quote unquote chronic pain or chronic conditions it, it, to use different language and to get, because just by using different language, you can give people hope and optimism and you can spark something in them that goes, oh, wait a minute, maybe I could do something about this. But since most people still see the doctor as the almighty answer to everything, the almighty, you know, wise one, they'll take their words for what they are. Uh, you know, you're, you're making all fantastic points. And I love when you especially use the word degenerative. And, and yeah. you know what, you know, it's odd. I mean, you've seen it. I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen it. Not only do these people usually not go back to their doctor, so therefore they don't see those cases, right. but when they do go back and share the story, the doctors don't take a shred of interest. None. Yeah. They don't want to know about it. They discredit it, if anything. They'll yeah. say, well, or they'll say it's a fluke, or it's just, it's, it's a fluke, or they, they don't even believe them. They don't believe them. Well, and a part of it is about willful ignorance because they want to remain willfully ignorant that those things aren't possible because then, then they would have to own that, A, they're hurting people, that they were yeah. giving out bad diagnoses, that they're giving out bad prognoses. You know, they're telling people, like, it's going to degenerate. Listen, the only thing, there's nothing, there's no such thing as degenerative conditions that degenerate for no good reason whatsoever. Right. You got into a degenerative condition based on the internal environment that those cells, let's say in one organ, for example, are surrounded by. And yes, it will continue to degenerate so long as those conditions stay the same or get worse. But you change the conditions, you change the outcome, period. And all of those conditions are changeable they you are, are what you eat what you drink what you think what you assimilate you know i mean the quality of air that you breathe the quality of water you drink all these things impact the internal environment every move that you make whether you uh, live a, even if you went from a, a lifestyle full of personal care chemicals and moved to a lifestyle that was chemical free in nature that alone changes the environment you've reduced the body burden that the body needs to deal with, and that alone helps. You, you're going to drink water with 80,000 chemicals in it, or you drink clean water. Imagine, what a novel concept. Do you think that that's going to change the environment? If, you're, if your kidneys are going to filter all this garbage out, but we only feed the kidneys with poison, um, no wonder conditions degenerate. And guess what? Doctors contribute to the degeneration of these conditions because everything they give, everything they have to offer, everything, the only things they are legally allowed to offer 
is more poison, which destroys the liver, destroys the kidneys, destroys the gut, ruins the assimilation of nutrients in the stomach, you know, and, and creates more acidic and inflammatory conditions. All drugs do. There's no such thing as a drug that reduces inflammation in the long term. You no. added poison to the body. There's, you can, there's only ever one outcome to poison. That's right. And I prefer the term regenerative because truly that's what the body does. The body actually regenerates. It doesn't degenerate unless you keep doing the same thing that causes the problem. When you stop doing what's causing the problem and you put in the solution, the body regenerates. It doesn't degenerate. <laughs> Right, even on, even in complex pro seemingly complex problems like cancer. I yeah. mean, cancer is something that you do. You may not even understand how you do or how you did it. Maybe you have some obscure deficiency. You're one of those rare cases where you have an obscure deficiency that all of a sudden is creating this immune dysfunction and therefore you get cancer. So you may not see how you're doing it. Everyone's heard the story of, my uncle was healthy as an ox and he played sports and next thing you know, he dies of cancer or heart attack and he was healthy and he didn't even drink or smoke. Like, like our society is so conditioned that those are the only two risk factors in their perception that contribute to health. I mean, that's how naive doctors are. Yeah. I never hear them say he never had a meal without <coughs> salad and he never ate a meal of cooked food in his life. Like I, you never hear that story. You never hear the guy was on a 100% raw fruit vet, uh, diet and all of a sudden he dies. I've never heard that story. Friggin' never heard of it. So cancer is something ultimately that you do. Why wouldn't be arthritis? Why, are, why couldn't arthritis be something that you do right. where the, the definition of risk factors extends far beyond he didn't smoke and he didn't drink, didn't you know? Or he only drank socially and he never smoked his whole life. Oh, but he had 83 vaccines and he, you know, blah, 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 <laughs> like as if that these other poisonous exposures, these other bad dietary and lifestyle habits had no contribution is obscene, but that's our society. Well, you know, Terry, let's talk about some of the causes, the real causes of pain, because this is where uh, there's a lot of tremendous misconception. Let's, let's use migraines as an example, since one in four women, it might actually be higher, um, suffer from some sort of, uh, my, suffer from migraines on a regular basis, meaning at least once or twice a month. Are you uh, serious? The numbers are that high? Oh yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, they are. Um, 20, it's, it's even higher. It's saying that saying 25% of all women is actually conservative. I, and cause these numbers are very hard to trace. Um, but everybody, almost every woman I know suffers from headaches, if not migraines, on a regular basis. I'm, I'm, I'm usually the only person I know who doesn't get headaches or, or who's never had really a headache. Knock on wood. I mean, I feel very thankful for that. Um, but I also don't believe it's a fluke. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean it, you know, but I guess, you know, when I had asthma and allergies for half my life that was the way my body you know uh demonstrated inflammation and other people's bodies demonstrate inflammation with migraines so it's just kind of the luck of the draw i guess or however you want to call it um but migraines uh i've worked with so many women with migraines terry and 
many of these women have suffered since they were like teenagers or even younger where they started getting headaches as young children sometimes and then by the time i'm working with them they're very often in their 30s or 20s or or 40s and they've been dealing with migraine pain the kind where you have to get locked up in a room with no lights um you know or anything uh or noise and they're there because they can't function and they literally live half a life because they end up getting migraines sometimes up to 12 times a month. Now imagine living like this um, with that intense pain. I think I can almost think of no worse pain probably. You know what I mean? Like you're, you want to rip your head off your body. It's like, so um, I, and those very same women have all been told it's their hormones that are causing their migraines which is very often why women will get migraines right around their menstrual cycle, right the first few days before it or the, during it or afterwards when all our hormones dip. And um, they'll be told the hormones are the cause. Well, they're not the cause. The, the hormones are just a trigger. Your hormone imbalances are just a trigger. Uh, if, the, if the gun isn't loaded, the trigger doesn't work, is how I always put it. And the, the gun's always loaded, so the trigger works <laughs> well good good metaphor good metaphor yeah. right yeah so thank you <laughs> so that's kind of an example migraine pain is pretty intensive and most people who get migraines have tried everything and usually resort to the very powerful over-the-counter medications which are often the same medications they give for people with seizures um because as as you probably know, obviously, people who get seizures and people who get migraines have very similar deficiencies, very, very similar chronic deficiencies, um, and very similar adrenal issues uh, that, you know, again, those are the loaded guns. But why don't, and what I also want to just add is I watched these same women after they learn how to, after they learn and understand what really causes migraines and where the pain is really coming from, they, I watch these same women never get a migraine again. Literally, they go from living like a handicapped person, living half a life and doing, not being able to make plans or arrangements or anything, or, or literally living like a, like a hold up person in the house half their life to literally never getting a migraine again. So that is possible completely when you understand what's really causing the pain. That's what I wanted you to maybe touch on. And unfortunately, we only have like, um, we only have se seven more minutes on this recorded call. It's going to shut off. Um, so yeah, I was wrong. It's going to shut us off at, in seven minutes, but we'll, we'll just okay. continue with another call. But why don't you, t why don't you touch on the main causes, the, the real causes of pain? Well, you know, this could be a, a much lengthier conversation in seven minutes, obviously. But, you know, uh, hormones are definitely an issue. And, and, and why wouldn't they be? Do, uh, have you been to a high school cafeteria? Do you see what teenagers are yes. eating? Have you seen the birth control pills, right. the, the, the vaccines that, are, that they're yeah. being injected, all of these, all these things that manipulate their hormones, all yeah. these foods that don't contribute nutrition right. but contribute imbalances? Like there's all kinds of like phytoestrogens and fake hormones in a lot of these processed foods. You know, even, even in a lot of, even in some of the organic salad dressings, 
there are some very questionable ingredients. So imagine what happens to people who aren't even doing that, thinking, well, I'm eating a salad. Yeah, but you're also eating a salad that's non-organic, and so now you're consuming herbicides and pesticides. Right. And, you know, you're, now you're taking into these, these dressings, and it just keeps compounding. But in that compounding, you also create deficiencies. Like I, like, I always like the example of using birth people say well why do babies get born with xyz why does everyone in my family have migraines you don't understand it's a genetic thing bullshit it's not genetic habits run in families like if great grandma had no vitamin d let's use an example because she was scared of the sun she bought into the fear campaign of the sun now she how much vitamin d does she have to give to the next child well virtually zero because she's got none in her to give now that child gets born she hides that kid from the sun She teaches that child hide from the sun, hide from the sun. That child then becomes a young mother and she and great and grandma says, hide my grandbaby away from that sun. And next year by third and fourth generations, you've got zero vitamin D in the bloodstream and you live a lifestyle conducive to no vitamin D. And now that's just a great metaphor for magnesium, selenium, zinc, B vitamins, blah, blah, blah. All, all those, all those problems get exacerbated from that's one right. generation to the next. So great grandma didn't eat any zinc rich foods. Right. She never cooked zinc rich foods. And then guess what happens? And that's why at family, at family reunions, people like you and I are the only people who complain about the food that's being served. We probably do so in silent protest or we speak to the host if we, or if we're hosting, we're bringing something different or we go to these things, we got to bring our own food. No one else is complaining because generation after generation after generation, everyone eats the same thing and then they wonder why they've got the same problems. No, my great, no, no, listen, those the same deficiencies are one of the largest contributors to why you, your sister and your mom all have, let's say migraines to continue, yes. for example. That's right. So it's chronic. So if, if you come from the understanding, and I, which I, I'm a broken record with this, that all quote unquote diseases or anything is the result of chronic nutritional deficiencies and cellular toxicity. So that's at the root of every single problem that goes wrong or right in our body. Or, I mean, wrong, generally wrong. Like if it, those two things need to be present, nutritional deficiencies and cellular toxicity. And it, simp- it simplifies it, but, but that's, that's actually true. You can't have a disease without those two things being present. And the thing, so how do you get, make migraines go away, for example? How do you make the pain stop? Well, you have to fill your body up with the right amount of nutrients, the right ones, and those nutrients in, in essence will help your body dump that excess storage of toxins along with doing some other detoxification methods that will allow your body to properly balance out so your hormones don't go so crazy to trigger the migraine and there's not there's not all this underlying chronic inflammation um, because really inflammation is what causes that pain and you can't have inflammation without chronic deficiencies and cellular toxicity really because that inflammation dies down when the body when the body's nourished fully nourished and toxins aren't taking up all the cells, the room in the cells, the, bo- the body can take a big sigh of relief and calm down. And when the body calms down, the pain goes away. 
Well, I, I couldn't agree more. I completely agree. And, and most people are eating a highly inflammatory diet. Yeah. It doesn't matter what book or what friend you have around you. you. We live in a society of nonstop body abusers. So you, a lot of people say, yeah, well, I eat just like all my friends and my aunts and uncles and I have this problem and they don't have the problem. Stop using your benchmark as other body abusers. Like you set your standards so low. Like my parents play this game. You know, we eat so much better than all of our friends. And all yeah, stuff. yeah. Because oh. I've got them to make lots of changes yeah. over the years. I'm like, guys, I'm proud of you, but yeah. could you set the standard any lower? Is it possible to even set the standard any yeah, lower? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. I love your term uh, that you use, body abusers. That's great because it's, I mean, that's so accurate. Well, let's stop this call now. We'll go to part two. And so we'll continue the conversation in part two. I'll end this now and then uh, we'll be right back with you. Okay. Are you sending me a new link or do I just yeah. stay on here? Yeah. Okay.